Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. I don't know if you've ever felt entirely out of your depth in life, but uh, about a year, or a little over a year ago, in May of 2018, Lindsay and I bought a house with a couple of friends, uh, which is weird, I know, and everybody, like, their first question is like, oh, you mean like a two-family house? And it's like, no, it's a one-family house, we share it, and they're like, how, how does that work? And which is kind of a weird question. I don't know how to answer. I'm like, uh, we have our own bedrooms and don't walk around the house naked. Uh, <laughs> so we, we bought this house and we're sharing the house with them and, and it's awesome. The house is awesome, uh, but the house was not awesome when we bought it. Like picture tacky wallpaper everywhere with like the intermittent like 1970s wood paneling and there were walls everywhere. Like, back in the 50s, they loved walls. Apparently, that was like a status symbol. The more walls you have, uh, like, it felt like you were living in a tackle box. So, uh, Lindsay and I move in in May, and we just start tearing down walls. And we're kind of excited for this whole process. We're looking forward to it. And then June rolls around, and uh, all of a sudden, we decide as a church that we're going we're gonna to move portable. We're going to move to Viscardi, all right? And, and we have eight weeks to do it, like, to get all of the planning together, which is fine, except... When in May, when I bought a house and decided to tear open the walls, this wasn't even on our radar. So now I'm like trying to juggle both of these, and then and then July rolls around, and uh, and I don't know if you know this. They say that the pill is 99.7 percent effective. <laughs> You're looking at a 0.3 percenter, okay? <laughs> so now I'm living in a construction site with my pregnant wife, and we're doing the whole Viscardi thing, and and it, it's okay. We're, we're getting through it, but it just feels like a lot. And then November rolls around. November rolls around, and all of a sudden, I, uh, we get a text from one of our housemates, and it turns out our housemate, Andrea, was diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer. We're like, whoa, this is not what we were expecting, and so we hear about this, and we're, we're dealing with that, and she has to have surgery in January, and her mom comes out, and she's also living in the construction site with us, uh, which is fine, because we have the room for her. What we don't have is a railing on our stairs for her, so she falls down the stairs and shatters her arm, has to go to the hospital, and then, you know, all of that gets handled, and, and thank God Andrea is cancer-free now. woo yay. Uh, <laughs> It's awesome, but in the midst of all of this, just feeling like out of my depth more and more, and then March finally rolls around and, and Kara shows up, and so like now I'm a dad. Uh, so uh, all that's to say, there were, there were a few moments over the last year where I felt like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> And I don't know if I'm going to make it through. Like, I don't know if I have what it takes. And we all, we all experience seasons of insecurity where we are facing uncertainty and we don't know if we have what it takes to get through. 
right? Maybe for you, uh, maybe you like me, you have a new kid in the family. Judging by the number of babies in the nursery, about half of you can relate to that one. Uh, and, you know, maybe you, your kids are, aren't babies anymore. Maybe they're big kids and they have big problems. And you're like, I don't even know. I'm like at my wit's end, you know? And, or maybe you're starting a new job or maybe you just lost a job or maybe you're starting a new school year and new friends and new teachers and new challenges. And you're not sure if you're going to live up to expectations or, or maybe you're dealing with a, a diagnosis or a friend or a loved one is dealing with a diagnosis and you're not sure, am I going to make it through? Am I going to be able to walk this road and survive? Right? Maybe it's relationship issues that are having, or maybe it's not even an issue. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a new relationship and you're excited about it, but you're like, I, just, I don't know if I'm going to measure up to expectations. Maybe there's a relationship that's ending and you don't know if I'm going to survive going alone. Or maybe there's no relationship at all and that's the problem. And there's been no relationship and you feel like, I don't know if I can go another year alone. We all face seasons of uncertainty where we're facing challenges and, uh, and, and struggles where we just, we are insecure. We don't know if we're going to make it. And we're coming to the, the last week of our series called Not God Enough. And in this series, we've been explaining how there's this tendency in the human heart to reduce God down and actually make him smaller than he is, to domesticate him in some ways, because we can, we can control him if we do that. But our small versions of God, they, there's ramifications in our lives. And the, a lot of this series, just so you know, is pulled from a book called Not God Enough by an author named J.D. Greer. And so if there's uh, stuff that you're hearing along the way that you really like, we probably borrowed it from him. <laughs> if there's things that are confusing, we probably came up with that. Uh, so, uh, but if you're interested, if you're, you're wrestling with these things, you want to go deeper, that's a, a great resource to you. It's called Not God Enough by J.D. Greer. But today, what I want to explore is how our small views of God lead to insecurity in our lives. And, and the relationship between our theology and our insecurity. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open up to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read about probably one of the most insecure characters in Scripture, who just had nothing going for him, but then he became one of the, the most powerful leaders in the, the history of the Bible, somebody with a commanding presence and a, a courage and a confidence, right? And I don't know what comes to mind when you think of Moses. Uh, I don't know if you think of like Charlton Heston or an animated Val Kilmer, but the Moses that we get to see in, in the beginning of the story, he's a far cry from this heroic character that we want to emulate. He's deeply insecure. And we start in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And I, I want to pause there for a second on this word now. Now is not just like a, a segue. Now it, this word is actually planting us in a specific uh, time in history, in a time in Moses' life. It's really kind of setting the context for this. Because in uh, Exodus chapter 2, we get Moses' origin story, and I, I know many of you are probably familiar with, uh, with it, but Moses was born a Hebrew, living in Egypt when the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt. But very quickly after he was born, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he grew up basically as Pharaoh's grandson with all the, the prestige and privilege of royalty. And he spent about 40 years there. And now, it says, now... Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, all right? 
So when you read that word now, it kind of has this, this context of like, then he had all of this, this great promise, but now, now he's tending the sheep, not even his own sheep. He's tending his father-in-law's sheep. This is like a, a, a story of fall from grace. It's like one of those child stars that time has not been kind to, and it's like, whoa, what happened there, right? This is, when you read this word now, and it's saying now Moses is tending the flock, you have to read this with that sort of like, th- that was him then, but look at him now, Right? This is the proverbial, like, prom king quarterback who's, like, 45 and living in his parents' basement. Like, this is Moses. He had so much promise, but he turned out to be a real disappointment. And it's not like he's tending flock like this is just, like, a little blip in the radar, like he's doing this for a couple years in between jobs. No, he's, he's now 80 years old. He's been doing this for the last 40 years. Like, for all intents and purposes, he's at the end of his life, and this is what it amounted to. He is a disappointment. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Scholars point out the simplicity of God's demand on Moses, because in, in one sense, Moses doesn't have to like go and prove himself to God. He doesn't have to go and like change himself. He doesn't have to go do some mighty deed to be able to approach God's presence. God just calls him. But at the same time, God, God sets the, the conditions by which he can come. Right? He still has to come on, on God's terms, but those terms are simple. And the invitation, it, it's an easy invitation for him to just simply take off his shoes. And, and Moses, he obeys and he trusts God, even in this little act. And it says in verse 6, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid. And then God is going to say what he's going to do. And as I I read this next part, pay attention to all the things that God says he's going to do and what God says Moses is going to do, all right? Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And then verse 11, we get Moses' responses. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? <laughs> you see the, the disconnect between where, where God is on this and where Moses is on this. Because God comes out and he says, Moses, look at all the things that I'm going to do. I, I've been hearing the cries and I'm going to rescue my people and I'm going to break Pharaoh and I'm going to lead them to the promised land and I'm going to use you to do it. And Moses turns around and Moses is only thinking about, oh, wait, who am I? How am I supposed to do this? It's like, wait a second, Moses, when, since when are we talking about you? God is talking about what he is going to do. 
And one of the things with this question that Moses is asking, this like, who am I question, is it really echoes the question that was thrown in Moses' face 40 years earlier when he fled Egypt. See, the reason Moses fled Egypt is he had uh, inadvertently killed an Egyptian one day trying to rescue a Hebrew. And he didn't think anybody saw it, but the next day there were two Hebrews fighting, and Moses thought he would step into that place and, and try to be a leader. And he tried to break up the fight, and these Hebrews, they said, they said to him, who are you? Who made you judge over us? Who made you our ruler? And they're like, what, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And this freaked Moses out, and he fled. He ran for his life. But that question of who are you, who made you ruler over us? You could hear the echo of that when Moses is standing before God, and God's saying, go lead the Israelites. And he's like, who am I? You know, with our, our insecurities, very often we think of insecurity stemming exclusively from uncertainty about the future. And that's a big part of it, but that's not the full story. Our insecurity, yes, it's rooted in, partially in the unknown outcomes of the future, but it's also deeply rooted in the well-known failures of our past, right? It's not just that Moses doesn't know what he's getting into. Moses actually has a pretty good idea of what he's getting into because he's tried this before and he's failed, uh, remember when I first started architecture school years ago before I was a pastor, all of that, I had a, a pretty good advantage because I had worked for an architecture firm for a couple of years and had a lot of experience and worked for interior designers. And so going in, I, I kind of had a, a, a real advantage, which came in handy in that first semester of architecture school. And every week in architecture school, you would have these reviews where they, they would critique your work. They would call them crits. And you'd pin up your work, and then your professors and your peers would review your, your work. And uh, for the first several weeks, my reviews just they were good week after week after week, which built a lot of confidence. And I was kind of riding on this confidence. There wasn't an insecurity going into it. And then one day, one of these reviews went terribly. <laughs> and I got ripped apart. And it was ugly. Like, both what I made was ugly and the review was ugly. And, and that one experience changed all of the rest of the reviews because now I knew what it was to fail. I knew that sense of failure. And I knew I never wanted to feel that again. But I knew it was always a possibility. See, for Moses, his insecurity isn't just about not knowing what God is calling him into. It's because he's actually familiar with what God is calling him into. He's tried this before, and he's failed. And all of us, we've, we've tried things and failed. You guys know what it is to bleed. You know how much it hurts to fail. And that's part of what fuels our insecurity. And, and like Moses, you might have these voices kind of springing around in your, your head, reminding you of the ways that you failed. You know, maybe it's a parent who just your whole life, they were constantly tearing you down. Maybe it was the, you know, a bully who was just around all the time and constantly just picking on you and reminding you of how small you are and how incompetent you are. And maybe, maybe it's not another person. Maybe for you, the voice that's circling around in your head is your own voice, right? And you're the one who's constantly reminding you of all the ways that you've failed before. Moses is in this place where for 40 years, in the back of his mind, he's been saying, who am I? Look, I, I, thought, I, I thought I could be somebody great. I tried to do something. I tried to be somebody, and I found out I'm nobody. Now God is calling him into this, and he's asking, who am I? Right? And then, this is how God responds. I love this. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. Notice what God does not say. Moses, God does not say, Moses, snap out of it. You're a mighty leader. 
God doesn't like say, no, Moses, you're a precious snowflake and you're unique and I created you with certain flaws and, and it makes you beautiful. And He doesn't do anything. He doesn't blow smoke up his butt or anything. Like, he, he doesn't try to like, point out his strengths and build him up. Like, this could actually have been his like, Mr. Miyagi Karate Kid moment. You guys remember the Karate Kid where Mr. Miyagi has him like waxing cars and painting fences and he thinks he's wasting time. And then all of a sudden he realizes like, he has this epiphany like, these are the motions that I'm learning. And it's like, yes, I've been training you this whole time. This could have been Moses' Mr. Miyagi moment. Because think about it. Moses, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household being trained as a ruler, like a royal leader, right? And then he spent the next 40 years of his life leading sheep through the very wilderness that he was going to lead the Israelites through for 40 years. So in a lot of ways, God has been training Moses for this very specific task that he's calling him to. And God doesn't bring up any of that doesn't bring up any of that because God doesn't want to affirm Moses to trust in himself. It doesn't matter. Yeah, sure, Moses might have history in, you know, in leading in Egypt and wandering the wilderness, but that's not going to help him part the Red Sea, <laughs> right? What God is calling him to is something that's beyond Moses, what Moses can actually handle in his own strength. And so he doesn't, he doesn't even respond to Moses' question. Moses says, who am I? God doesn't even dignify the question with a response. He just says, no, no, no. Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. I will be with you. I'm going with you. Because our confidence, it doesn't come from a higher view of self, but a clearer view of God. And some of you are here today and you feel small. And the challenges that you face right now, they feel so big, right? And you're not sure if you have what it takes. And, you know, you might hear these voices that say, well, you need to believe in yourself and you need to, you know, look at all your strengths and you need to do all these things. And, and I, I just want to be the first to tell you, if you feel small and alone this morning, you are small, <laughs> You, I mean, like, you are small. Like, I don't, I don't care what any self-help book tells you. You are, in fact, very little. Robert showed this picture at the beginning of the series. This is Canis Majoris. And in that bump out there, you see our sun, that little dot. You might not even be able to see it on here. That's our sun. Canis Majoris is just one other star. I mean, it's the biggest one we know about. But still, you could fit 9.3 billion of our suns into that one star, all right? And there are at least 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And there are at least 100 billion galaxies in the universe. We are so small. <laughs> like, there's, there's no way around it. Like, we're, we're really little in space. Like, Hurricane Dorian hitting the, the southeast, and it just decimated places. And it feels so huge. It's so big, and it, it is to us. And yet, it's not very big to Canis Majoris. It's, like, infinitesimally small. We are so small, not just spatially. We're small as far as power is concerned. We're weak. And we're small as far as time is concerned. The book of James, it, it, it puts it this way. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Poof. Like we are, we're so little in time and space. We are, in fact, small. And we can put together our career paths and our vision boards and our 401ks and we can try to establish all the security we want in our own strength. 
but we're small. So if you feel small, it's because you are small. And if you don't feel small, it's because you're delusional. <laughs> we are small. If you feel small and alone, you are small, but you are not alone. This is what God tells Moses. He doesn't try to bolster him up and say, no, you're so big, Moses, you're a mighty man. No, he says, I will be with you. You're small, but you're not alone. And then Moses, he finally starts to ask the right question. In verse 13, it says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? All right, so Moses, he finally realizes, oh, wait, maybe this isn't about me. Maybe this is about God. And he's like, uh, uh, God, suppose I go to the Israelites. Um, now, I know who you are. Uh, but just in case they don't, what should I call you? Asking for a friend. Uh, and, and God responds. He says, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And I, I just kind of picture Moses at the burning bush. And he's like, God, who are you? And God says, I am. And Moses pauses. And I am, sorry, I missed the last part. I am what? I am. Sorry, the, the signal on this burning bush isn't, it's getting a little staticky. Uh, I, I am what? And God says, no, I, I am. I am who I am. Because God calls Moses to this task of leading the Israelites out of Egypt, and all Moses can think about is, God, I, I am not cut out for this. I'm not young enough. I'm not smart enough. I, have, I don't have the uh, equipping to do something like this. God, I am not able to do this. And God says, I know, but I am. I am in all the ways that you are not, I am. And so it doesn't matter if you're not. It doesn't matter what your deficiencies are. God just wants to come in and he wants to say, I know you're not, but I am. You might say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm just not smart enough. And God says, I know, but I am. You might say, God, I'm not, I'm not good enough. And God says, I know, but I am. God, God, I'm not strong enough to endure what's going on. And God's, I know, I am. God, I, I'm not organized enough. I'm not persuasive enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not fill in the blank. I'm not enough. And God says, it's okay because I am. I am God enough and I will be with you. And so whatever your deficiencies are, you don't have to disparage those deficiencies. We don't have to hide them. We don't have to be insecure about them. We don't have to pretend they're not there. In fact, the apostle Paul, he, he got to this place where he started to rejoice in his weakness. It says, he would rejoice in, he said he even would boast about his weakness because he realized it was in the places where he was weakest that he learned to trust God. And it's in those places where he was weakest that he got to see the power of God at display most. That's where God's power is made perfect, not in our strength. If, if, we, think, if we think that our weakness gets in the way of God doing what he wants to accomplish through you, way off base. It's not our weakness, it's our strength. It's where we want to step in and say, no, I got this, I can, I can do this, right? That's the place where we, we start to jeopardize what God is doing. Once a year, I have to golf, uh, and I say have to because I don't like to golf. I'm a terrible golfer, uh, but there's this charity or this organization that I support, and so I try to put together a foursome every year, and I always get three people, which means I have to golf. Uh, if anybody's interested, talk to me. Uh, so the nice thing, the only redeeming factor about this is it's a scramble, and a, and a scramble 
uh, all four people play on like one team together. With each shot, you just take the best ball. Whoever hit the best ball, you just go with their ball, right? And so this kind of saves me because I try to play with people who can golf, right? But, but the worst thing that I could do, the worst thing I could do in that situation is say, you know, I, I, need to be, I need to show that I'm contributing to the team and I need to, you know, can we just use at least a couple of my drives? I know we're going to have to like go into the woods and find the ball and everything like that, but I want to feel like I'm a team player. No, if I insist on being strong and I insist on being a tr contributor, that is going to hurt me and the rest of the team. The best thing I can do is actually rest in the ones who go alongside me. See, God says, I know you're not enough. <laughs> I'm not expecting you to be enough. You're really little. I made you that way. You're small, but I am God enough and I will be with you. But in order to tap into the security that comes from knowing that God is enough and he is with us, there, there's one piece of this that we have to, to really wrestle with. Because I, I feel like a lot of times we stop here and it's like, oh, God, I'm not enough and you're enough and I'm gonna kind of rest in that. And, uh, but there's, there's a huge piece of this that we'd be missing, right? Because if you notice, God is calling Moses into what God is doing. Moses isn't inviting God into what he is doing, right? A lot of times we want to walk away from a, a text like this and say, God, I'm not enough, but you are. Like, I'm not enough to be a multimillionaire, but you are enough, so come bless me and pour out your, your resources on me. And like, if you're trusting in God for that, you should feel insecure <laughs> about those hopes and dreams. Security comes not from inviting God into our thing, but by diving into his thing. See, the, the whole source of his security is that Moses is going where God is going. He's going on mission with God. Like if Pharaoh were to sit back and say at this point, God, uh, I'm not enough, but you are enough, so let me squash the Israelites, that's not going to help him, right? The whole source of this security comes from the fact that Moses is going on God's mission. And remember how small we are, Right? So if we're going to invite God into our thing, we'd be inviting God into our tiny little bitty dreams, our little hopes and expectations. Like imagine, imagine if instead of Moses stumbling upon a burning bush, he stumbled upon a genie, right? And the genie gave him a, a few wishes. What, what would he ask for? What would his request be? If he could have all the power and authority of God to do what Moses wanted to do, what, maybe he'd ask for a few more sheep, uh, ask for better rainfall that year, maybe a bigger house, uh, maybe, maybe we'd like selflessly ask for, you know, a friend who was sick to be healed. And none of these are, are bad things. And, and believe me, I think God, he tells us to bring our request to him and he loves to give us good gifts, all of that. But at the same time, imagine if this is what Moses asked for. A few years after Moses died, probably anything he asked for, even if it was granted, would have been forgotten. Like we definitely wouldn't be reading about Moses 3,000 plus years later if God decided to get behind Moses' small little dreams. And it's, it's very tempting for us to want to try to get God to come into what we're doing, but to realize, wait, I'm small, and my dreams are just as small, but God had a God-sized mission for Moses, this mission to lead his people out, to bring them to the promised land so that the history of redemption could be established through this nation. And God has a similarly God-sized mission for you. And it's actually very similar to the mission that Moses was given. We call it the Great Commission. 
where Jesus, he came to his disciples and he said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. It's been given to me. Jesus is essentially saying, I, I am the I am, right? I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he tells his disciples, go, make disciples, baptize people from every tongue and tribe and nation, teach them to obey everything I commanded. And then he gives the same promise that Moses gets. He says, I will be with you till the very end of the age. If you want to experience security with all of the power of God's I am-ness at your back in the face of your I'm not-ness, it doesn't come from inviting God into your thing. It comes from diving in to his thing, his God-sized dream that he is accomplishing, right? We live, we live 2,000 years after the Great Commission, so we take it for granted that there are people all over the world worshiping Jesus right now. It's amazing, but that was a God-sized dream when Jesus said those words to, to 11 hillbillies up in like northern Israel. Like there is no reason why that command should even make it out of the first century, and yet the globe is filled with Christians, but his work is not done, and he's calling you into it. You. And you say, I'm not enough, and that's okay, because he says, I am enough for this mission, and I can do great and amazing things through you. And in a room this size, you know, most of us are probably called into this mission right here on Long Island, in the place where we live. But I expect, and I even hope, that there's a few of you that God is calling you to go to the, the far reaches of the world, to, to bring this message to people who haven't even heard it. But, but here's the thing. If we're so consumed with our thing and we're pushing God's thing out, we, don't, we aren't going to experience his power. Or, or to put it this way, if, if God and his mission are so small to you that they can be eclipsed by you and your dreams, right? If God and his mission is small enough that it can be eclipsed by you and your dreams, then that God isn't going to be big enough to provide you security through life's uncertainty. I just want to say that again, because I, I think this is important for all of us to hear. If, if your version of God and his mission, if it's small enough that it can be eclipsed, it can take a backseat to you and your mission, right? And you and your mission, they're so big that it actually blocks out God and his mission, right? Then that God, he is way too small to provide security through the uncertainty that's going to come in your life, some of the uncertainty that you might be in right now. But if God and his mission are big enough for you to dive into, you're going to see all of the I am-ness of God unleashed in your life. I want to read something for you. Uh, I mentioned how our housemate, Andrea, she uh, was, I'm going to get emotional, I'm sorry diagnosed with cancer. I want to read you what this sounds like when somebody has the security of the I am at their back. Right after she was diagnosed, she sent this text to me and Lindsay. Hi, housemates. Smiley face. <laughs> I want to let you know I heard back from my doctor and I have ovarian cancer. I'm going to let the small group women know, but I wanted to make sure you knew first. I knew something was wrong and have been feeling like God's been preparing me for this, but you never know. And you want the answer to be different, but this is the path God has for me. So it's what's best for his glory. And I am praying his glory explodes out of me through whatever comes. He is so good and poured out so many blessings on this whole thing. Praise God. Smiley face. 
would literally be lost without him right now. This is what it sounds like for somebody who's just given themselves to the mission and they know they have the power of the great I am at their back, not a power that's going to lead them around the trials that lay before them, but the, the kind of power that can actually part the Red Sea so they can walk right through it. Not the, the kind of power that's going to evade death, but the kind of power that can overcome death through the resurrection. It's incredible, and it's an incredible sight to see. And I want to I leave you with the image of the burning bush, because this really struck me this week. It's a familiar passage, but this, uh, this image of the burning bush, I, I never really thought about it uh, as I have this last week. And here you have this fire, right? But the fire isn't consuming the bush. Fire usually needs fuel, right? It would burn things up. It needs fuel to survive. But this fire was different. This fire needed no fuel. It was a self-existent fuel. This was the fire of God. It needed no outside resource. It was, this is the I am fire. But this fire came on an ordinary bush. Like it wasn't even a tree. It was like, like a shrub, right? This small little ordinary bush. And Moses said, I need to go see this strange sight. Another translation calls it a great sight. And another translation calls it a marvelous sight. And even another translation says it's an amazing sight. It was an ordinary bush that the fire of God's presence came down upon and it became a, a, an amazing, marvelous, great, and strange sight. And you might feel small and you might feel ordinary and you might feel beat down and you might not feel equipped for what lies ahead. But when the fire of God's presence, the I am power of his presence comes on ordinary you, that is a, a strange but great and amazing and marvelous sight that has the power to actually draw people into the very presence of God. And imagine what it would look like if we were a bunch of burning bushes going out into the world, ordinary people filled with the extraordinary power of God's presence becoming this, this great and amazing and marvelous sight for the world to see. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we have a, a couple of people who are being baptized as well, and we're going to invite them to come up now as well as I pray. Father, we are so small, and we are not equipped for what lies ahead. And yet we have this confidence that you are God enough and you go with us, Father. And so we, we rest in your power and your authority, God. And I pray for each of us, you'll give us the humility to, to stop trying to wrangle you in to do what we want you to do, but instead to find out what you're doing and to pour ourselves into this. For us to, to put behind us the, uh, the things that are gonna distract us from your mission, God things that we allow to become bigger than you, God, so that we can fully just pour ourselves into the work that you're doing in this world, to own the mission that you have given to each and every one of us. And God, I, I look forward to the day where we get, are going to be able to see and, and share and talk about all the amazing and marvelous and great and strange things that you've been able to do through ordinary people like us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.